Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Awaza. Now, if you haven't already checked them out, head on over to the Awaza website using the links in the show notes and check out their full line of filtration products. Learn more about the Smart and Biomaster external filters and the BioPlus internal filters. Also, follow their social media accounts on Facebook and Instagram to see more of these great filters in action. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I'm going to take a few moments of shameless self-promotion and let you all know that the first ever Aquarius Podcast YouTube video is online. Yes, an actual video with my smiling face in it. Now, I know I've said that I wasn't going to do any videos, but I keep hearing from listeners that you guys want to know more about what's happening in my fish rooms. You're kind of bummed out that I don't do those, you know, state of the fish rooms or just talking about the few tanks that I had set up, you know, back in episode one through 10 when I was doing that in the intro section. Um, So I, I think publishing a few videos a month is a great way for me to keep you all up to date on what's happening in the Aquarius podcast fish room and other adventures that I'm on. So there's going to be an upcoming fish collecting trip in Peru that you might have heard me talking to George Farmer about. That's going to happen in August. I will be filming that and you know who knows how many videos will come out of that but I mean you know who in this hobby doesn't want to see some cool stuff from Peru at least I hope I can bring some cool stuff from Peru. So if you want to see that video content head on over to the Aquarius Podcast YouTube channel and subscribe if you aren't already and now that I feel thoroughly dirty from the self-promotion let's get on with the interview. Today's date is Tuesday July 9th 2019. My guest today is Zach Frank. Zach is the Aquatics Category Manager for World Pet Association and a driving force behind the aquatic experience. He's also an alumni of the Aquarius Podcast as the Episode 16 guest. So, Zach, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back, Randy. That was on the fly, too. It actually says, so, Zach, welcome to the podcast, and I add that little ad lib in there. Did you like it? I was perfect. Welcome back to the podcast. So yeah, man, thank you, uh, thank you very much for coming back on. And uh, you know, you and I back in episode sixteen. I think this episode is going to be sixty-four. So it's been a oh, you've come so far. It's <laughs> I don't know if I've I wouldn't call it that. I've just kind of I've just kind of kicked the can down the road. Is I think what I keep doing, and uh, having good guests helps me to do that. So. Uh, and I, w- I would say you were one of them, man. We had a great conversation. Um, and ever since then, I've been looking forward to having you back on. Uh, you are doing some some really cool stuff as far as what you do for work and just the amount of travel that you get to do around the world. So um, I think having you come back on to talk about some of those experiences and also talk about the 2019 aquatic experience, um, I think that's just going to be a great episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, you know talk about myself because everybody loves that, and then also <laughs> to uh, promote aquatic experience a little bit. All right, man. So you've done some. You've been doing a lot of travel. So where have you been, and what have been some really cool things that you've seen in the aquatic space? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, last time we spoke. I think uh, I went to uh, China, and I, I went to the. Uh, the Pet Fair Asia and the uh, Aquarama in Shanghai last August, September, um, which was a, a pretty cool experience because they, they do some great uh, fish competitions there. That was exciting. So they do their, their beta competitions and they do uh, guppy competitions, discus competitions, and, of course, the, uh, the Asian arowana competitions. So that's a, Asian arowanas are fish that we don't see in the U.S. very often, but uh, just a huge popular fish all throughout Asia. So uh, that was that was really exciting for me. 
Yeah, and there's some there's some YouTube videos. I think like Business Insider, they actually have a um, like why it's so expensive or, or something of that nature where they talk about like why is lobster so expensive? Why is this so expensive? So on and so forth. And I believe one of them is on the Asian arowana. Um, I could be completely wrong, but nonetheless, there's there, there's like a non-fish related channel that talks about the designer arowanas and like the the actual procedures, like the cosmetic procedures that these very well-off people pay to actually have their fish undergo. And it's, I mean, it is, it is, a um, you know, a very, uh, passionate thing over there. Yeah, no, it, it, it is very passionate. There's actually a book that, that was written by, um, a woman named Emily Voigt and it's called the dragon behind the glass. I'll give her a quick shout out. Um, because it's a really interesting story about how a, a just a journalist got interested in Asian airlines, and then she kind of traveled around the world, um, even with Heiko Blair, and uh, that really talks about how uh, these fish are no longer uh, found in the wild very much, and uh, just really why they're so expensive and why they're so sought after in that in that, uh, the different cultures throughout the the Asian communities. You, so you I, I really recommend checking that book out. It, you know that actually that might have been like the YouTube channel might have been referencing that particular video. Like she may have have been interviewed in that or something. But that that title, "The Dragon Behind the Glass," sounds super familiar. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's actually it's a really good read um, for you fish geeks out there like myself. Well, if I can remember, I'll, I'll take the note right now because I, I absolutely love my books. I'm a huge book nerd. Um, I'm going to write down Dragon Behind the Glass, and I'll make sure that I find a link to that book and give that book some love. And I, I know for sure on my own I'm going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Dragon Behind the Glass. Randy's writing that down right now. That makes for a wonderful audio interview. Uh, so, Zach, like in, in these competitions – um, you know, anything cool in terms of like, man, I didn't know they're doing that with guppies or man, I've never seen a discus like that. Well, they definitely had some, uh, you know, surprisingly, uh, goldfish that, that I was, I was really impressed by, um, some of the, the pearl scales with the, the bubbly heads, um, just, just pretty cool, uh, breeds of goldfish you don't see in the U S. Um, and I, I think it's pretty uncommon for us to see uh, high end goldfish in stores in general in retail locations. Uh, you know, there's some places in LA here where we'll, we'll see a hundred dollar goldfish once in a while, but they're generally the dollar ninety nine fantails uh, throughout the most of the country, I would say. Um, so that was actually really cool. Uh, a lot of the the high end uh, bettas were were really nice. I really enjoyed that competition, um, and we'll talk about this later. But uh, it's part of the reason that we're bringing a, uh, a betta competition to Aquatic Experience this year. Um, but uh, you, just the high end bettas, and you see the wild caught bettas. And uh, just really impressive that the, both the coloration and then they're also judged on the personalities. So they can't, they're not supposed to be hiding in the back. They're supposed to be coming up to the front and kind of displaying a little bit. So uh, that whole idea is, is pretty neat. Wow. I didn't, yeah, I never would have thought that personality would have been, I mean, it makes sense as you say it, but I never would have thought that that would have been one of the characteristics. Like you think of size, color, finish, like those, those characteristics. But yeah, personality, that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's it's actually something that that a lot of fish competitions will judge on the personality, and that's something I, I've been uh, surprised by a lot of the European discus for this, um, because these discus competitions, the, the fish are not supposed to be hiding in a corner, and they, they're supposed to be around thousands of people, but still colored up. And I think most of us, when we go to a fish store, and we see discus that are just all black and stressed out, and uh, you know, not what they're supposed to look like. 
So uh, the discus are, especially if you go to uh, Germany and see some of those those beautiful German discus, uh, they're just they have a great personality come up to you instead of hiding in the corners. Oh, that's interesting. Do you, do you think some of that has to do with, uh, are the Germans not keeping them in heavily planted tanks or, you know, heavily decorated tanks so that, you know, the more, the more bare the tank is, the more exposed the discus is, and then therefore it will become comfortable? Well, I think a lot of people who breed discus breed them in, uh, in bare bottom tanks. Right, even especially the the Asian crowds as well, because uh, a lot of uh, breeders come from Singapore for for Asian discus, um, and then the, the Germans, you know, uh, have a slightly different body shape to the discus. Um, but uh, yeah, they breed them in in bare bottom tanks, um, and then a lot of times they'll hand feed them, or they'll feed them in a way that 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 they're just used to being around people. But I think it, the biggest thing with having them uh, create those personalities, especially when they're small is to get them used to being around people and not in tanks that are full of thousands of other fish. Yeah, so that hand-feeding element, that right there, you know, you, you're able to imprint upon them at a very young age. Here comes this, you know, this human. We're all used to, like, an Oscar cichlid or other fish, like puffers, yeah. that um, get used to their owners. But you, you don't really see that too much with discus, but hearing that if the Germans are actually hand-feeding them from a very young age, that all starts to make a lot of sense then. Yeah, especially if you're doing them in smaller smaller amounts. And, I mean, I think it's it's worth noting, too, that uh, you mentioned having uh, heavily planted tanks. Uh, I think most people, most serious discus keepers um, don't use many plants in their tanks. They, they either leave them bare bottom or they, uh, they create a, a, a South American biotope with, you know, driftwood and rocks, but not necessarily uh, heavily planted. Yeah, so not a lot of places for the, the discus to hide. Yeah, hide, and then uh, sometimes if you have a heavily planted tank, the, the de- debris will actually fall into the plants and then uh, foul up the water a little bit faster, and, and discus people try to keep their water uh, more pristine than some other fish. Yeah, and then as far as like any anything uh, in the hardware, the technology, the, the filter, the lighting space that you've seen that's really innovative that maybe hasn't made its way over to the USA? So I think there's there's some things that are, are coming over now and they're on their way over and there's there's some things that have been in the saltwater side for a long time, um, or at least you know 10, 10, 15 years that are just becoming beginning to become popular on the freshwater side. Um, specifically, I'm talking about controllers. Uh, so we've had a lot. We've been using Neptune or some other uh, type of controller in our saltwater tanks for a long time. Um, but I'm seeing, you know, a handful of, of freshwater-specific controllers come to the market, and that's really exciting. Uh, for anyone who travels or just wants a low-maintenance tank, controllers can allow you to turn things on and off or notify you if there's issues or, you know, at this point even do automatic water changes from, uh, you know, throughout the day while you're at work. So that's that's made a huge impact to my uh, personal hobby just from the fact that I can travel around the world and not have to worry about my fish tank. And, and for the purely freshwater enthusiasts out there that have no experience with controllers, and I myself, I, I only vaguely know of these just because I'm now in the industry and you know, kind of looking around at different products, it's, it's essentially kind of a, a smart power strip, right, at, at its base where you know you you plug in various components into this smart power strip and then from there you're then able to program on offs and, and various other functions from that 
Yeah, exactly. And I would say the biggest one in the U.S. is still going to be the uh, Neptune uh, systems uh, controllers, the Apex system, um, because it is so versatile and they've got a lot of little modules that add on to it. But, uh, yeah, you can monitor um, your full water quality where it's, you know, the pH and the, uh, you know, salinity even, uh, temperature, you know, all that kind of stuff can be monitored through the app from anywhere in the world on your phone or, or a tablet. Um, and then you can uh, turn things on and off or, or have them times to turn on and off. So specifically your lighting or uh, you could have a UV sterilizer turn on for eight, eight hours a day and then adjust that as needed as well. Um, so yeah, it, pretty much anything that you could plug into a plug and you want to control in one way or another, uh, you can do with the controller. Um, and then, you know, in addition, you can also do some stuff, uh, cool stuff with, uh, you know, Alexa apps or different type of uh, uh, home, uh, you know, Wi-Fi automated uh, controllers that, uh, you know, say turn on lights, turn off lights. Uh, so there's some cool stuff you can do with those if you want to play around with it too if you're a, a gear junkie. So how much would that differentiate from the basic controls? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a very, very late adopter on the actual home assistant. I don't want Skynet in my house just yet. Um, so, so like, kind of, kind of play me through it, right? Like the, the controller idea, I understand that Wi-Fi controls, you can, you know, use it, uh, operate things remotely, turn things on and off, change settings. Um, so how does plugging Alexa into this, like what, what's like something really cool where you're like, oh yeah, Randy, you know, you say Skynet, but here's this really cool thing that it can do beyond just the normal controller function. Um, so theoretically, I mean, there's, there's so many different things you could do. So theoretically, say you have a freshwater tank, right? And so you put a, uh, automated top off on there that comes from, uh, an RO system or something. Um, you could theoretically have your, your, you know, control your, your Amazon Echo or, or whatever Google Home or whatever you're using, um, to turn a pump on to drain the tank a certain amount, right? and then your auto top-off will fill it up. So theoretically, you could do automatic water changes from every, anywhere in the world just by using that. Okay, and so that's where that's where the Alexa component would come in? So that's not an actual feature uh, that the controller is able to do? So the controller does it easily on its own, but if you wanted to to do it another way, there's other ways to do it. Oh, cheaper. okay. So, so it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of like so, wallifying it, right, or making it more of a clap-on thing? Yeah, okay. for sure. Uh, if you, <laughs> gotcha. If you get the if you get the Neptune Apex, um, they actually have a system called the Dose, um, and they have one of those that uh, has uh, it has an automated water change feature on it. So that will actually uses a uh, kind of a dosing pump, hence the name Dose. Uh, very technologically advanced. Yeah, there you go, spelling <laughs> and, uh, it out, man. Yeah, right. Um, and what that does is it'll actually take. Uh, one side of it will remove water, and the other side will, will put water back in. So, if you're, it will even, you know, take water from a saltwater reservoir. So you can do uh, water changes, automatic water changes on saltwater tanks. Um, but you can also use it for fresh water, and that's what I was using it for most recently. Um, just remove the water and have it automatically fill, uh, filled back in from the RO system. Nice, yeah, and this episode is not sponsored by Neptune. They're getting a ton of free plugs. Yeah, I was but... going to say, that's, that's why I was saying someone else. <laughs> Zach gets a dollar every time he says the word Neptune in this podcast. I wish, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, on the note of the on the pH controller or the pH um, probe, how often yeah. does that have to be calibrated? Uh, more often than I do. 
Okay. Um, that's a safe bet. Um, I I would say you know do every three months and you're probably fine. Um, six months at the absolute minimum. Um, any, any longer than that, and it can you know go off a little bit. Uh, but it really depends what you're using the pH probe for. If you're using the pH uh, probe just to monitor what your uh, your tank pH is then you could probably go a long time and not have to do anything. If your pH uh, probe is attached to a, uh, a controller that is, uh, you know, adding CO2 into the system, then you, in that situation, you want to keep it a little bit more, more accurate and precise. Oh, wow. So for the planted tanks, you now, is this for planted tanks as well? Or again, saltwater noob, they, you guys aren't no, that, injecting. That, I, I would recommend that for any planted tank. I, I tell you, anytime I run CO2 into my tanks, um, that I will use a pH controller. Wow. Um, and I generally keep my pH 6, 5 to 7, depending on the type of fish that are in there, um, with the idea that once you have the pH controller in there, you can't uh, overgas your everything in your tank with CO2, and, and uh, you you get a, an ideal amount of CO2 without killing everything. Oh, that's cool. I feel like you don't see many people at all, at least what I've seen, actually running CO2 through a controller uh, that's then being triggered by pH like real-time pH from a monitor. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it's something that it, it costs a little bit of money, and a lot of freshwater people are not um, willing to spend the extra money, uh, in the U.S. at least, throughout the throughout the world, especially in Europe, they, they love spending money. Um, <laughs> but uh, saltwater people in the U.S. have no problem spending a couple hundred dollars on something, but freshwater people are... are uh, not as, uh, or, or maybe possibly more frugal. So, um, so th- is that the swag? A couple hundred bucks to get something like this set up to not not including the cost of the you know the CO two components themselves, like the uh, the the, the yeah. regulator, the the tank, the diffuser, but the actual um, controller mechanism and the pH the the pH probe is a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, the the, the very basic like Milwaukee controller is probably about two hundred bucks. What about, what about the one that you have, though? Because I feel like you don't have the basic. Um, well, that's actually one. That, uh, I'm looking 130 to yeah, 130 to 200 bucks. Um, the, the Milwaukee is is probably the the most common freshwater one that people will use, and you can either uh, set it to adjust the pH down, or you could set it to adjust pH up, which would be a saltwater use. Gotcha. And now, so your world travels uh, this past year since you've been on the podcast, has has anything that you've seen or experienced influenced your own personal fish keeping at home? I would say uh, not the actual um, hard goods so much as the, the way that people uh, set tanks in other countries. Um, Expand that out for me. In- yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of times when we go to trade shows here, and I, I do a lot of trade shows in the U.S., so I, I see how we set tanks up here, um, and we set them up, you know, just on the spot, and we try to make it look good with whatever plants we can make it look good with, you know, right now. Um, if you go to Interzoo in Germany, they, they travel around to these trade shows, and they have these tanks set up for six months. So when they go to the trade show, their tanks look so much nicer than ours. So uh, I, I think they have a little bit more uh, respect for making something look amazing. Um, and then uh, Aquarama was the same thing, where, where they had a lot of uh, just uh, amazing displays, whether they're paludariums 
or uh, just just aquatic planted displays where they put a lot more time and effort into making the tanks look good prior to the show, where we end up doing it like on site. Mm. Um, so that it's really interesting how they do that. Uh, and then just throughout the world, th- th- I think there's a lot more respect for full planted tanks than what we have in the U.S. And I, I think it's growing here, and it's been growing for the past 15 to 20 years, and will eventually get there. Um, but I was in, in Spain at the Barcelona Aquarium in November, and uh, I was I was blown away that they had this this uh, planted tank that was originally planted by by Takashi Amano, and it was 20 foot across bowed, so you see almost uh, different regions where the the plants are different, and it kind of goes from one region to the next, and uh, the whole way across is is just you know put put. 10 large tanks into one and, and it just it all combined into something that was really amazing. Um, and then they had a, a smaller area where they had uh, different types of uh, planted tank setups. So it's saying um, this one is decorated Dutch style. This one's decorated nature aquarium style. You know, and they've all, all set up in a different way. Um, and that was all set up by a mono um, at, at one point in the past. So uh, yeah, they, they just put a little bit more respect into those you know natural um, planted environments, and uh, I think we we spend a lot of time here on the saltwater tanks uh, when you go to the aquarium, and we overlook some of the beauty that you can find in the freshwater side. You mean when you say aquarium, uh, the like the in the public, the public space, right? Like a public aquarium? Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds like, though, that, uh, was it the Boston Aquarium, um, they, don't they have a pretty good Amazon display? Like where Sam Rucka, he, he's volunteered at? Yeah, in New England there. Um, I have actually not been there, but I assume it's, it's pretty nice. Um, but, you know, if you go to Shed Aquarium in Chicago, I love that aquarium. Uh, their, their planting is basically the kind of plants, planted tanks we would do in the maybe the 90s, you know, there's not a whole lot of thought put into it. It's just a bunch of big plants that grow really tall, and they look really good, but they're not necessarily as aquascaped. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that uh, that Sam does a great job where he's at. I, I've not personally seen his, unfortunately. I, I want to say that the what they have at the New England Aquarium is more of a, a South American biotope, is I think what they've they've gone with is at least one of their displays. Yeah, they do a lot of, uh, a lot of support for Project Piaba up there. Um, and and they and Piaba pushes a lot of the biotopes, the, the Rio Negro biotopes. So that would be my assumption. Sure, sure. Well, Scott Scott Dowd being there is that's pretty pretty exactly. heavy influence. So <laughs> that's why I can uh, sort of make that assumption. Yeah, yeah. So so it sounds like if the Shed Aquarium, if they need to update their planted tank, maybe like past guest John Piney and the the Aquascapers Collective and all of that Chicago Aquatic Plant Society, maybe they can talk their way into Shed and let them, you know, totally redo this public display in kind of a more current, modern aquascaping style? I think that they, they I, I don't know if that specific group is working with them, and, and they, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about shit. I'm, <laughs> I, I love that aquarium. I'm not talking bad about that. Um, I was actually surprised last time I was there uh, in uh, March, um, that they had changed out several of their tanks. Oh, um, nice. So not the, the planted ones necessarily, but they had a, a new rainbow uh, display from, from what I saw last year. So uh, they, they are in the process of switching some things out. So I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they, they do that as, as they can. Um, and it would be, you know, nice to see them uh, refresh 
possibly some of their some of their planted tank uh, setups. But yeah, I'm not saying anything about the aquarium. I love the shed aquarium. Um, so you know, good for them. I, I picture uh, I picture this is now going to kick off like in The Simpsons when Homer told Bart he couldn't go watch the movie because he wanted him to be a Supreme Court justice. And at the movie theater, yeah. they had a picture of Bart and they wouldn't sell him a ticket. I, and I, I think now maybe the shed's going to have your photo up, and they're not going to let yeah, you in no, anymore no, after this. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I and I have yet to go. I've been to Chicago. I've done some work in Chicago, but I've not actually been to the Shed Aquarium. And uh, that definitely, from everything that people talk about it, it sounds like it is an awesome experience in and of itself. So I definitely need to go check that out one of these days too. Yeah, Shed, I recommend. Uh, Atlanta, I recommend. Uh, then uh, uh, Northern California, Monterey Bay is, is pretty amazing too. But I mean, Seattle's nice. You can't say anything bad about Seattle. The the problem with the Seattle Aquarium is that they're doing so much road construction down there, um, and the parking. Yeah. It's basically what was it like thirty bucks to park. Um, just to go to the aquarium, and then the the fee to get into the aquarium is I don't know twenty dollars or something in that ballpark. So it is it is a pretty expensive uh, endeavor to go down to that aquarium, and it's not um, it's you know not the largest out there by any means. And you know once you're once you're down there, I mean traffic can be real tough, but nonetheless, I mean I don't want to yeah I don't want I don't want to poo poo it too much. I mean it's it's an aquarium, <laughs> it's an awesome experience, but just Seattle, Seattle, the city in and of itself has this like anti car. Um, you know, kind of nature. They don't want people driving in. They want you taking public transportation. And, you know, if you live on the outlying areas, that, that makes things kind of tough to go visit. So, well, you got you got to pay your your uh, your parking fees because you don't have to pay the uh, state uh, income tax fees. Right? <laughs> hey, that's we, what I said when I lived there. Is like, I, it's thirty dollars, twenty thirty dollars park anytime uh, I'm here. Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna digress hard on this one. So the trick is, you go and you park at the downtown Target if you want to walk really far, and as long as you spend twenty okay. bucks at Target, I think you get your free like your first couple hours for free. But that's like that's kind of a that's kind of a parking hack. Uh, but you know, we we could talk about property taxes and how much more property taxes are here, but then we're completely getting off topic. <laughs> so I feel like everybody that is going to listen to this is now going to be parking at Target, and Target's going to change their policy just because of you. <laughs> that would be... Well, I mean, if, if most of the listenership is outside of like a major metro area, it's not even going to be an issue because everywhere else in the country that isn't like an urban center has parking as far as the eye can see. Yeah. For sure. And that's actually one of the things I miss about living in California. Like they prop up these shopping centers and they're just like the parking lots are enormous. And here in Seattle, you know, because of the the terrain, the sound, um, how much is already developed, it, they basically don't build new shopping centers. They just kind of repurpose old shopping centers. And for a, from a parking standpoint, you know, they, they don't expand the parking lots. And so you, you put this brand new, like nice shopping center, the buildings are larger, they eat up some of the original parking spaces, and then you're left with just a, you know, kind of a parking nightmare. But but, I mean, California may have the big uh, structures, but they're all still full. So, I mean, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Well, I guess I grew up in Northern California, so you, you Southern California guys. Although San Diego wasn't too bad, but yeah, you're in you're in more like L.A. area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will. Uh, I, I pray for you. I pray for anybody every night living in L.A. That is a uh, that's an experience in and of itself. <laughs> We could use it. All right. Anyway, so, back, yeah. to, back to fish. Back to back to tropical fish. Yeah. Hopefully, there's still some listeners tuning into us. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about a aquatic experience. So I would sure. say, uh, 
you know, we we had you on for that episode 18 or episode 16 uh, to talk about 2018 aquatic experience. I had never been to one. I'd only ever seen, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of videos of people's past experiences there. Um, you know, I was I was convinced I, I wanted to go. I needed to go and, and check this thing out. So I did um, the first year in Secaucus, New Jersey. I went all three days and I had an absolute blast. Um, I don't think there was ever a moment when I was, you know, I was like, man, what can I do next? Because I spent so much time at each of the booths talking to the various vendors and reps and um, all the people in the, you know, kind of the social media fish side of things and just socializing. Uh, But then also some really great educational talks. I think I went to, you know, three or four different talks and that was a a fantastic experience. Um, I feel like we're going to beat the word experience to death in this podcast. But no, I mean, I had I had a, a fantastic time, and so knowing that I wanted to bring you on again uh, to hype up the the 2019 aquatic experience and just talk about maybe what some of the things that you're changing, some of the feedback you've received of the 2018 um, event, and you know, moving forward, given that we're only about three months away, it's October what 12 and 13. That's correct. So October 12th and 13th, 2019 in Secaucus, New Jersey. So it's July 9th right now. So people have got, you know, a a couple months to book their travel and and get their hotel room. Uh, But now would be the time. So, Zach, you know, I'll I'll give it to you to talk about it. Hey, it sounds like you you sold it for me. I don't need to say anything. (laughs) That was was perfect. Hey, we've got some time to fill. You have to talk. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, no, no, uh, thanks. I, I hope you had a great time, and I hope that everyone who was there had a great time. Um, I, I'm just coming back from uh, Reef of Palooza, which was actually in the same location, and uh, everyone I spoke to that came to the show really loved it. So, you know, it's one of the best things we can hear as a, as a show promoter as a sh- in show management is to hear that, that uh, the attendees had a really good time in the show. So that, that, that's, you know, number one, we're doing a show for the industry and for the people. So uh, we'd love to hear that. Um, we we do have some some new things happening in the show this year, and uh, we're we're very excited about it. Uh, I, I already alluded to our new uh, our uh, beta competition that's going to be uh, put on by uh, the Beta Breeders United. So it will be a, uh, a international uh, uh, IBC International Beta Congress uh, sanctioned competition, and they expect to have uh, roughly 500 different betas involved in that. So. That should be a really, really cool new feature in the show. Um, we're still going to continue the aquascaping competition, which is, has been very popular since the first day we had it. Um, so it's, that's run by uh, uh, the AGA group. Um, we still have our cichlid competition that's, that's uh, ACA sanctioned. Um, and then we still have the international uh, shrimp competition um, that uh, is kind of run by JBJ and Dennerly and uh, Chris Lukop and Shrimp King. So uh, those those competitions are, are really you know a, a driving force of the show, and we're we're excited for all of them. Um, we're also continuing to have you know lots and lots of aquarium setups that that we uh, you know as show management actually set up uh, throughout the couple of days before the show. So um, that includes our fish from around the world. So we we lots of little tanks that are broken up from you know different different areas of the world and different fish that would be uh, found together, Um, so South America, Asia, uh, Africa, you know, whatnot. Um, Different aquarium displays for the Florida Tropical Fish Farmers, which helps promote their group uh, of fish farmers in Florida. 
Um, and then the, the biggest thing I, I want to really, you know, get people interested in is, is uh, the kids' aquarium competition. So uh, that was a little bit small last year, but we've had over 80 people in the past um, be involved with that competition. So uh, that's an area where, where kids uh, basically put in a small amount of money. Um, they come, they decorate tanks, and it could be, you know, My Little Pony or G.I. Joe or whatever, you know, Masters of the Universe or whatever, Legos inside of them. Um, and then the tanks are on display during the show, and then the kids get to take the whole tank home at, at the end of the event. So they basically get a, a $60 system for, you know, 10 15 bucks. So uh, that, that's something that we really want to try to promote uh, aquarium keeping to a young audience, and getting kids involved is, is really cool. What, what's your medium for for getting that message out there to try to drum up as much? Uh, I would assume there's going to be pre-registration for that, or is it just you know register on the day of the event? Yeah, so the kids is all pre-registration. So um, my medium is talking to you and telling everybody <laughs> in the area, if you have a kid, <laughs> register them for this contest. Um, no, so we actually send out a lot of emails to schools and we work closely with the Pets in the Classroom uh, group which uh, provides uh, grants to teachers that want to have pets in their classrooms. So uh, we work with, with that group, and we, we get a list of schools to, to kind of uh, send that, that information out. Um, and then it's on our website, and we also have social media, whether it's uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, that, that kind of promotes that, that contest as well. And pretty much everything else we do is, is uh, promoted in our social media um, programs are there is there like a you know like a flyers on the ground kind of campaign in local fish stores to try to get people in or you know leveraging the 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 larger big box stores in the in that kind of tri-statey east coast area yeah yeah we should actually have flyers um being uh sent out and distributed through those those local retailers um middle of august generally is when we get those out um, and the idea is if it, if it goes too far out, then people will forget about sure. it. So uh, we keep that within two months of the show. And then, uh, and then hopefully anyone who's shopping at those stores can, can kind of go in and, and uh, learn more about it. Um, but any questions can come to uh, us or through our website, which is aquaticexperience.org. And then, uh, again, you know, see us, any of our, our information on social media, please reach out to us. Uh, once you follow Aquatic Experience on Facebook, it seems like it pops up every time you're, you're uh, looking at something. So uh, it, it kind of fills my feeds, which is good. Is the, pre- um, is the pre-registration for this event, is it open right now? Uh, for the Kids Crime Contest, is open, and the Cichlid Contest is open. The AGA uh, Oxygating Contest is open. Um, the beta, the beta, and the shrimp are are still uh, not quite available, but the rest of it is currently available. Um, we will have tickets for sale on our website um, within the next month or so. I think our our date is uh, August first for the ticket tickets to be available, um, but they're not quite ready right now. Um, good news is we actually changed up our whole pricing. Um, and, and made some things uh, a little bit easier for people to to attend this show. So uh, we we just changed from a three-day show. We used to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This year uh, we're going to just be Saturday and Sunday based off of uh, things we've learned in this new location that people can't get off work on Friday. <laughs> um, so I think that's actually – it's actually a wise move uh, on our part, and I think it's going to be really good. But when we made this change, we actually adjusted the ticket pricing a little bit. So we're – uh, a one-day pass will now be $18, but a the full weekend pass is only $30. So 
So that's significantly less for than a weekend pass was in the past. Nice. Um, the other thing is the uh, either the one day or the weekend pass will get you free education this year. So we used to charge, uh, I think it was forty dollars per day for education um, on top of your ticket price. So uh, free education this year for that just uh, standard entry. So that's actually really exciting. And, um, and when, you, when you say education, what does that cover? So uh, we have different uh, courses that are based off of either retailer or consumer, um, but the consumer education, we generally have uh, four to six people speaking throughout each day, and they'll talk about um, planted tanks or biotopes or shrimp, you know, freshwater shrimp or marine or, you know, basic aquarium keeping skills and bacteria. So we have, you know, basic uh, discussions like that. And if you have, you know, any interest in, you know, set up a biotope tank, you can kind of go in and, and, and listen to that um, and just gives you ideas to to make your hobby better and to, and to grow your interest in the hobby. So that's that's all really uh, cool information, and you know, ideally we'd have um, you know give you a chance to, to see some speakers that you may have only seen in YouTube videos or people you've not met in the past. So we're excited to to get people like that involved and, and make people uh, excited to to sit in a room for for 45 minutes listening to someone talk about fish. Yeah, two of the the speakers from last year that you know I would assume that you guys are you're going to do your due diligence again and you're going to have some top quality speakers. But uh, Chris Lukop and uh, Dr. Ashley Emanuel were both speakers last year that I I sat in on their presentations and they were phenomenal. Um, I truly truly enjoyed it. Um, so I can't I you know I can't say enough good things about you know balancing out your weekend if you're going for both days or even one day. Um, you know, between the booze and, and, and planning it out so that if there's a certain talk that you want to go to, you can, and it gives you a nice change of pace. You can sit down, listen to somebody talk and hear some great anecdotes and experiences for 45 minutes to an hour, whatever the, the duration is. And then you go back out on the floor and you, you check out the aquascaping competition or any of these other competitions. Um, cause there's, I mean, there's a lot, like you guys pack a lot of stuff into that, into that building. Yeah, no, we we uh we do our best to fill the room. Um, when you know we do some other shows in in, in the same location, and they the they only use about half of the room. We fill we fill up the whole room with one thing or another. Um, and and like you said, uh, I think earlier in the conversation, you, you went and uh, had a chance to go hang out with the the YouTube crowd last year. Well, uh, we're doubling the size of the fish tuber booth this year, so they've got a a, a twenty foot by twenty foot booth right in the center of the show floor. So we're hoping that that area just blows up and, and getting a lot of social media people in there. So it's a great place to, to come and meet people like yourself, hopefully. <laughs> um, and for, for everyone just to come and, and meet whoever they, they like from social media, um, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Rob from Flip Aquatic or it's Aquarium from, uh, Corey from Aquarium Co-op or it's Mr. Randy Reed from Aquarius <laughs> Podcast. Uh, he's said the no one that people ever. really want to see. He said no one ever. <laughs> So, uh, no, I, I think uh, that's really a, a great, fun area to see. And I think we're always amazed how, how many people come to the show and they wait in lines just to say hi to some of the, the YouTube personalities, the social media personalities. Um, because I think those, a lot of those people are really driving uh, the, the growth of the industry right now. They're bringing new people in, and that's really exciting to see is it, the new people enter the, the hobby from the social media groups. 
Yeah, I mean, and there's there's a definitely a, an appreciation for what they're trying to do as far as their content and just you know investing you know investing money and it may, maybe not all of them are actually making money on their content, but they're investing in video equipment and audio equipment and they're trying to put out things that are enjoyable for people to watch and you know talk about their experiences. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on out there, and so I can definitely see how. Um, you know, it, it, if you would have asked me two years ago before I got into the hobby and, and really closer to some of these people, I would have been like, what are you talking about? That's nonsense. You know, that's, that's not a thing, but you know, you, you, you immerse yourself in it and you start to see what they actually, what they do. And then the fan reactions to it or the viewer reactions, um, you know, it's, it, it's good stuff, man. It really is. It's, it's definitely, um, it's different. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I was I was just speaking with a, a, a gentleman in New York a couple weeks ago, who uh, who happened upon uh, the the fish tube booth at Aquatic Experience last year, and he was saying how he was talking to someone in the booth, and he looked over, and he's like, the one guy I really want to meet is Corey from Aquarium Co-op, and uh, then he looked over, and he saw Corey, and he kind of like freaked out. <laughs> um, he like did a whole like fanboy like was embarrassed. And couldn't even walk up to him, and, but you know, later in the weekend went and talked to him. Uh, and uh, I'm like, that's, that's actually awesome. that's that's really amazing. Like that's that's a, the the kind of stuff we like to see in the show. We like to see people who are really excited, who who just kind of step out and uh, and get to meet uh, you know maybe some of the heroes or just just people that they they want to uh, they t- take talk to and say, hey, uh, what you do resonates with me. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the other cool thing about the show is that it gives. Um, it gives the consumer the opportunity to interact with um, the manufacturers on a different, like, well, just to interact with them in general. So a lot of these um, brand reps and sales reps, when they when they attend shows and they set these booths up, it's to it's it's sell, sell, sell. Um, you know, they're trying to open up new accounts or, or whatever it may be, right? It's 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 a completely different frame of mind. And seeing these guys, you know, they're still in their in their same Hakari or Sarah or whatever brand gear. But it's just a different atmosphere, and they're able to interact with people like the consumer that actually use their product. They're like, "Oh yeah, your Vibrobites, I love your Vibrobites, or I love your Onips, or you know whatever the whatever the product is that they happen to to sell as a manufacturer." And so that's another really cool um, facet of this event. Yeah, no, it's always great to see uh, be able to interact with them and say, "Hey, your product's great," uh, or "Why do you do this?" Which they love. Um, but uh, it's also really neat to to go in and, and say like, but what's new? What's next? Uh, we love what you're doing. What else do you have? And it's it's really cool to see you know um, I, something I saw recently that I just that that blew me away is, is a, a way that uh, one lighting company uh, created a rack to uh, to hang something from your wall instead of from your ceiling. Just you know, just something really basic. But uh, just tweaking things we already have, it's like, hey, why didn't someone think about that sooner? That's really convenient for someone like me that lives in apartments, so I don't have to hang stuff from my ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just just new tanks coming out, different shapes. Uh, some of them, you know, have new fish. The Florida fish farmers always bring some of their top quality fish to the show, so it's really cool seeing you know fish that they want to show off. Um, and and like you say, just create a, a rapport with your your local reps. Um, when I used to be a rep back in the day, you know, it was, it was always fun going to stores and, uh, you'd actually have certain days where, where certain hobbyists would be following you around to different stores and they would say, Hey, didn't I just see you here? Um, and I don't think, uh, every, every place in the country gets to, gets that kind of experience. Uh, 
so it's nice to yeah create that that personality with with the the just average hobbyist. Nice. Uh, so can it, to take a step back and um, go back to the competitions and you know in particular starting with the beta competition. So you you guys were expecting five hundred betas to be entered, right? Yeah, they they actually uh, recently had one of their shows in Chicago in May and had uh, about 500 fish. So that that's their guess is, is somewhere around that, that range. And people actually send their fish from around the world. So it's not just, uh, you know, just northeastern USA. It's, it's these fish are sent from around the world um, to, to be entered into this contest. What's actually unique about this competition is that they're going to be doing the judging on Friday night before the show opens, and then a lot of those fish will actually be available for sale on Saturday and Sunday of the show. So you could theoretically come and buy a, you know, beautiful $75 uh, beta from Singapore or something um, when you come to the show. That's awesome. Yeah, so all that, because uh, we see that on Aquabid, right? You go on Aquabid, you see these bettas, they're beautiful, but then you have to go through the whole transshipper process. And I think the moment somebody sees like, oh, I have to go through transshipper, like nothing against transshippers, but I think that just adds a layer of complexity that nobody really wants to go down that path. I mean, not not nobody, but, you know, the average person wouldn't want to go down the transshipper route where if you're just already there and you're seeing these amazing bettas with, you know, color combinations and finish and size that you've never seen before and personality, apparently, um, and, the, you know, the chance to actually just buy it there. I mean, that that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it, we're actually, uh, I, I, I'm very excited for this because uh, it's something that we've been talking about for a while and uh, hasn't, you know, been able to happen until this year. So uh, we want to make sure it happens and we want to see it be successful. And I, what's really cool is that we, we have our, we're going to continue to have our win a better toss in the, you know, uh, front uh, part of the show that can, it's kind of ran by Hikari. They're the ones who really uh, run that. Um, and they, they donate all proceeds to, again, pets in the classroom. Um, but you can go win a, uh, a $3 or $4 beta over there um, with a little game, um, and then you can you know, bring that $4 fish over to see the ones that are you know, sometimes worth $1,000 and be like, oh, this is the difference. Wow. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, very nice. And uh, as far as, you know, if, if somebody wanted to enter that, like what, what are the kind of the rules if somebody wanted to, to enter a beta? So that's actually going, we're going to have a link um, on our website, but generally uh, just to enter it, it's, it's going to be a fairly small fee, and then they have to make sure the fish gets to the show uh, at a certain time. Um, and they're actually able to send their fish to the group. So all that information will be posted on the rules um, in the next probably one to two weeks on our website. So I'd, I'd say keep it, keep an eye out for that. Um, as I said, it is a, a, a IBC sanctioned uh, event, so uh, and it's run by the Beta Breeders United uh, group. So the rules are really their rules. We're just giving them a, uh, a venue to make it happen. Oh, gotcha. And then as far as like 500 bettas, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how many tables, how many like how much of a footprint that's going to take up. So, I mean, is that going to be in an area the size of what the shrimp competition was last year? Because there there was kind of an offshoot beta competition, right? Yeah, the, last year it was really just a display. Um, and Chris Lukop was really trying to get a, a, a good beta display together last year. Um, and it was, a, it was a valiant effort. Um, but that was not a competition. So this will be a 20-foot a by 20-foot area. 
um, unless it changes. <laughs> um, and uh, they've got a racking system, so they've got, you know, four or five fish uh, per, you know, in height and another, like, six or eight uh, per rack. Um, so it's, it's not going to be that large of an area, so it will be smaller footprint than the shrimp. Um, but, yeah, it's just stacked in such a way that, that they can get fit a lot together. And, and just for the disclaimer, you had, you had said uh, bed as per, and that's not per a tank. That's just per a rack in individual tanks, yeah. just, or, just for the yeah. bed police out there that might have uh, yeah, we, perked their ears try up. To put, uh, yeah, try to put at least 25 fish in each little tank. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, that would be terrible. That's, uh, that's wrong thing to do. Um, no, I believe they're, they're kept in, uh, in what we call a critter keeper. Um, but whatever they have, it's all temperature modulated. And, uh, and the way they actually judge them is interesting. They have to, uh, have something, um, solid in between the two, each fish so that they don't see each other all the time. Because if they see each other, then they, they say flared the entire time Mm -hmm. and a little bit stressed. Yeah. Yeah. But when they judge, when they judge, they have to be able to remove that so that they can see each other. Because when you're judging, you want them to flare up. So, you know, they insert a piece of paper or something in between uh, each little tank, um, you know, to, to ensure that the health of each fish. Um, so they, that's all stuff that's in the, the IBC rules that, that needs to be followed. Wow. So I wonder if there's then some gamesmanship as far as like, oh, man, I don't want my beta to be next to this guy because it's it's this color. And maybe that throws the judges off when they go to judge my beta and they pull that card. Right. And it starts and they, they start flaring. I wonder if there's any any psychology behind that. I don't think that people work too much um, for a show like this. Like, I don't think that the people uh, do that much effort to, to you know, be in certain areas with the idea that a majority of the fish are sent in and the people who are, are submitting the fish are not actually coming, even coming to the show, um, mm. especially if they're coming from outside the country. Um, so generally uh, the people running the competition will place um, all fish in one, each category, and there's, I think, 50 categories for the bettas. Oh, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, all fish in this category over here and then so on. Um so yeah, I don't think that plays as big of a part. Yeah, so it's not like a what do they call them, like a black mamba next to a like the new tie flag color, and for some reason like the red, <laughs> white, and blue distracts you when you're trying to judge the the black and silver fish. So hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just assume people are going to have gamesmanship intentions and try to try to work the system. That has, I mean, that kind of stuff's happened at, at some of these types of shows in the past. Uh, we've been lucky that uh, most of our um, participants in our contest have, have always been just really good, uh, good sports and, uh, you know, have, have accepted judging uh, as it is. And I think people realize that, that we're really here to promote the industry. We're not, we're not here to make anyone feel good or bad. Um, the one that, that gets probably the most competitive we get um, at the show is in the aquascaping competition. Uh, the cichlid people are all friendly. You know, the shrimp people, again, the shrimp competition, a lot of them send their, their livestock to the show and may not be attending the show. Um, but the, the aquascapers are the ones who, who put their hours and hours of work in at the show. So, uh, so they, uh, 
they're a little bit more competitive in that in that competition. Well, well, definitely. So Jeff Miyake, who I had on the show, he when he won 2018, and I asked him, "When did you start planning for this?" He's like, "Oh, after we lost in 2017, like that day." <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. you know like, that team. How can we win? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So are, is there going to be a, a large tank and a small tank division still? Yeah, so so uh, that's what we do each year. The large tank is uh, invitational, so uh, you actually have to submit uh, pictures of past aquascapes to uh, the AGA, and if uh, they accept you, then you can get into that competition. Um, and the small tank is open to everybody, so that's that's the uh, you know the one that that beginners will will get into, but some of the the best people in the country are still uh, doing aquascapes in there. So luckily, uh, uh, John Pinney apparently retired uh, after last year, so he won't keep winning from everyone. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, the, the the winning place is is up for grabs, and we're, we're interested to, interested to see who that will be. Nice. And so, uh, how many like are there any estimates right now? Like you guys think you'll have you know X number of entrants for the large tank and Y number for the small tank? Yeah, I mean, we kind of cap it around 30 for the small tank, and I believe we have a cap at 8 for the large tank. Um, we could theoretically add a couple more to either, um, but that's, you know, 30 and 8 is kind of a, a generally where we're at. Mm-hmm. Because well, what was it last year? Was it 6 that were in the large tank, 5 or um, 6? Yeah, it might have been 5 or 6, and, and part of that's because uh, just moving locations, mm-hmm. it was, uh, there, there's, you know, people in the Midwest know what aquatic experience is, is and has been, but people in the Northeast really have to still get an idea of, of what we are. So, uh, you know, two years, I think it's going to grow. You know, this year we've seen a lot of these these applications, especially for the small tanks coming in already. Um, you know, it, it takes three to five years sometimes for, for a show to get, you know, to its full potential. So uh, this year is going to have more people and more entrants than we had last year, and then it's just going to continue to grow. Nice, yeah. And I'm torn on personally. Did I like the small tanks better, the small tank competition, or the large tank competition better? Like the large tanks are, are cool because obviously just the size of it, right? The the size, the grandeur. Like they've got all of this room to work with. These teams are, you know, they're really putting their heads together to come up with amazing designs. Um, but then the small tanks. I mean, there's just so many of them. And the overwhelming majority are just, you know, they're they're all so good. So it's it's you know they're almost both super awesome in their own respects. I I like the large tank with the idea that, like you said, it's a team effort because um, they usually have you know three to four people that are all you know working on one tank, and that's really impressive to to think how people can work together to really get the the uh, most ideal setup. I think that's cool. Um, the small tank. Uh, it always impresses me when someone can take a small tank and create a sense of, of depth, and that's a, a big part of the judging that goes on too. Um, to, to you know, take a small tank and you can take a picture of it, and it looks like it's a huge tank. Uh, that's that's a huge plus in my opinion. Um, so that's that's impressive when when I, I see some depth and some character to the the hardscape, and then also uh, ideally something that could be kept long term without. Uh, uh, be, just becoming a mess. Uh, if anyone's kept a, a, pl- a full planted tank in their past um, and they know what it's like after a month where it's just everything grows so fast that it becomes a mess, um, the, I, I try to keep that in mind when I'm looking at these small tanks. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's. I mean, there's the there's the design element. There's you know 
the the plant selection, the, the you know the, all everything that comprises of your design, but then that execution and actually manipulating these materials and these live plants and planting them and getting everything into position like you want it and then being able to fill it up with water i mean just that execution part is is you know something that is so impressive in and of itself just separate from designing the thing yeah i i i like to look at uh at the way that uh the that the tanks are judged um based off the aga standards and uh, some of the things that they, they do is is you know does it create depth does it uh is it set for longevity? If there's livestock, does the livestock create harmony in the system? Uh, you know, are, are there are there uh, a variety of different colors of plants and, and shaped leaf leaf sizes and shapes that work in conjunction with one another, or do they fight with each other? Um, and, and some of those those aspects of judging really really helps to uh, help you appreciate what the aquascapers do. Um, we had someone that was that set up a, a, a tank at one of our um, our other shows, American Family Pet Expo in Orange County, where I run a, a smaller aquascaping contest where we have 10 to 12 tanks at that one. And uh, someone set up a, a system where where it was sort of like a biotope, but it was planted, and uh, you saw the fish acting in just the most natural way. Like if you were in the in Rio Negro and you saw the fish acting like that, it would be completely natural. And the tank was set up in in a way that made the fish feel natural, and it was just really impressive, in my opinion, just to see these fish being acting like that, even though they were put in a tank yesterday and not acting like all the other fish and all the other tanks we had. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see someone that that really gets it. Um, and every once in a while, it, it happens at these competitions. No, that's awesome. So Zach, anything else that you want to uh, you know let us know about aquatic experience? One kind of final sales pitch on this uh, episode of the podcast? Um, yeah, I would say if you have any interest in fish, any type of fish, any type of aquariums, if you just like plants, and you're anywhere near New Jersey, you got to come down to this show. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You'll meet a lot of really cool people. You'll create. You can create relationships with just amazing people that could last forever. Um, take your hobby to the next level. Bring your whole family. We have, we have stuff to do for the whole family. Um, and, and come have a great, great show and uh, come see us in October. Yeah, totally. And then uh, as far as hotel accommodations, you guys are partnered up with a hotel again, right? Yeah, our, our partner hotel is officially the Embassy Suites, which is right next to the venue. Um, and you can call Embassy Suites and say, I'm here for a quarter experience, and they will give you our uh, show discounts. Um, and they're actually pretty pretty good this year, a little bit better than they were last year. So uh, be sure you call the hotels. Um, there are a number of hotels in the, in the area, but the Embassy will be our partner. Yeah, and for me personally, my experience flying out there from Seattle, uh, I flew into Newark. Um, it was basically a like a, a shuttle bus i think i pretty much took a shuttle bus from the airport uh, to that meadowlands exposition center um, stayed at that embassy suites hotel there's a ton of food choices all within walking distance right there the cool thing about after the show too is a lot of these a lot of these fish tubers a lot of the the shrimp competition people a lot of the people participating in the aquatic experience they go to the to those restaurants and so they're hanging out having a good time and it gives you an opportunity to socialize with them and hang out and um, it was just it was just a really good time all around i mean the the event the after the event um, activities and just a lot of a lot of fun like when fish people get together it's just it's just good times 
Yeah, you know, they they definitely get together in in the hotel afterwards, and they, and I think I was in the Red Robin one day, and I saw thirty of the YouTube guys just hanging out, <laughs> and uh, yeah, everyone's just very friendly, and we all we all get along, which is which is amazingly fun. You can't go to too many places where where just everybody gets along, um, and, and they're not even always talking about fish; they're just talking about life, and and people uh, love love hanging around each other. So yeah, come out, have a good time, and uh, see what we're all about. Yeah, for sure. The the flights are cheap right now, everybody. Get that hotel booked up. Zach, thank you very much, man, for coming on again. It's been a blast. I'll ha- I'll have to have you back on in, what was it, like 51-some-odd episodes? I don't know. I can't do math right now. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, well it, it's been great, Zach. Thank you very much for coming on, dude, and talking about the uh, aquatic experience and your, your fun travels. Hey, thanks for having me, Randy.